Hello. Welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. Present day. <laughs> Present time. <laughs> Maybe a new year, but it's the same old me. Your host with the most eye twitches from constant nerd activities. It, it's me, Reese Hendrick. Yes, and hello, welcome to Science Factual, the show that dives into the facts behind your favorite science fiction. And welcome to 2023. I hope your New Year's celebrations were soaked in booze, full of praise for sweet, sweet Satan, and free of resolutions, because that's just plain silly. Besides, time and reality are constructs, so do whatever you feel like whenever you want. I, whatever, right? Great. Happy New Year. The opening music you heard for this episode is that of Serial Experiments Lane, which is a Japanese anime television series created and co-produced by Yasuyuki Ueda, written by Chiachi Kanaka, and directed by Ryutaro Nakamura. Also included in the franchise is a manga continuation of the story called The Nightmare of Fabrication, which was headed up by lead graphic artist Yoshitoshi Abe, as well as a video game which was produced for the PlayStation platform. The song that you heard is called Duvet by Boa, which plays at the top of these syndicated episodes, at least here in America, but I'll be saving the super rad stuff for the end because that's how it is when watching the show. We try to give you the whole experience here on Science Factual, or at least what my limited brain power and editing skills can provide. With that in mind, I did a lot of talking last year, which, I mean, let's face it, as much as I have a face for radio, I do have a voice for radio as well, so why not use it? Um, I have, uh, I have a question. Is it true that if you don't use it, you lose it? Is that a serious question? No, it wasn't. Okay. Well, since I use it plenty and have no fear of losing it, I want to hear more from our guests this year, especially since we have some killer ones like today's guest, the very funny and insightful Thomas Lundy. We met up to talk about today's topic on New Year's Eve, among other things like stand-up comedy and the nature of reality itself. Oh, and make sure to stick around for the end of the episode for a hilarious clip of Thomas at the Portland's Funniest Person competition held at the Helium Comedy Club. But before we get into the background of the property, plus a synopsis and analysis with Thomas, I'm going to issue out a... Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Across the Wired, because Serial Experiments Lane is a story with deep-seated concepts that require not only knowledge of the anime, but of oneself as well. (laughs) 
animated by Triangle Staff, the single-season anime features original character designs by artist Yoshitoshi Abe. The series was broadcast for 13 episodes on TV Tokyo and its affiliates from July to September 1998, meaning this can be a quick watch, but a rewatch will likely be required since the series has some pretty high concepts laden within. The series follows Lane Iwakura, an adolescent girl in suburban Japan, and her relation to The Wired, a global communications network similar to the internet. Lane features surreal and avant-garde imagery and explores philosophical topics such as reality, identity, and communication. The series incorporates creative influences from computer history, cyberpunk, transhumanism, and conspiracy theory, with just a hint of gang stalking in there and a peppering of gaslighting. Critics and fans have praised Lane for its originality, visuals, atmosphere, themes, and its dark depiction of a world fraught with paranoia, social alienation, and reliance on technology considered insightful of 21st century life. The series' unique blend of internet culture and esoteric philosophy was heavily influenced by a single nonfiction book, that book being 1994's Siberia by Douglas Rushkoff. The book primarily deals with the growing subculture of internet users and how the internet could lead to a new counterculture. The book also examined how the internet could create something close to the esoteric concept of a global brain. Rushkoff was shouted out as a scientific mind that influenced the impetus of the creation of Protocol 7 and The Wired. But we'll get to that in a little bit during that interview with Thomas. There are also references to the philosophy of Timothy Leary and Apple Computers, as well as a particularly noteworthy claim that The Wired was based on alien technology recovered from Roswell in 1947. It makes mention of an organization called Majestic 12 that was in charge of covering up the crash and exploiting the recovered technology. But let's not bust out our tinfoil hats just yet. The general meaning behind the title lends to the idea that the titular character Lane undergoes a series of events where she comes to realize things about the nature of her reality. Now, Serial Experiments Lane is not a conventionally linear story, being described as an alternative anime with modern themes and realization. Themes range from theological to psychological and are dealt with in a number of ways, from classical dialogue to image-only introspection, passing by direct interrogation of imaginary characters. Communication, in its wider sense, is one of the main themes of the series, not only as opposed to loneliness, but also as a subject in and of itself. Writer Kanaka said he wanted to directly communicate human feelings. Director Nakamura wanted to show the audience, and particularly viewers between 14 and 15 years old, the multidimensional wavelength of the existential self, the relationship between self and the world. And what that perception of self within the ether can bring, namely loneliness, which even if only as representing a lack of communication, is recurrent throughout Lane. Lane herself is almost painfully introverted with no friends to speak of at school, or very few. She has a snotty, condescending sister, a strangely apathetic mother, and a father who seems to want to care but is just too damn busy to give her much of his time. Friendships turn on the first rumor, and the only insert song of the series is named Kodoku no Shingunaru, literally translating to Signal of Loneliness. And if I'm literally butchering any of these words or names, I apologize, Japanese is not my strong suit. However, speaking of strong suits, mental illness, especially dissociative identity disorder, is a significant theme in Lane as well. 
The main character is constantly confronted with alter egos to the point where writer Kanaka and Lane's voice actress Kaori Shimizu had to agree on subdividing the character's dialogues between three different orthographs. Now, you know I had to look that one up. An orthography is a set of conventions for writing a language, including norms of spelling, hyphenation, capitalization, word breaks, emphasis, and punctuation. Now, the three names designate distinct versions of Lane. The real-world childish Lane has a shy attitude and bare pajamas. The advanced Lane, her wired personality, is bold and questioning. And finally, the evil Lane is sly and devious, and does everything she can to harm Lane or the ones close to her. As a writing convention, the authors spelled their respective names in kanji, katakana, and Roman characters, distinguishing them as the ego, superego, and id, respectively, if I've done my homework correctly. Now, let's move on to our next concept, being that reality never has the pretense of objectivity in Lane. Acceptations of the term are battling throughout the series, such as the natural or base reality, defined through normal dialogue between individuals, aka the material reality, and the tyrannic reality enforced by one person onto the minds of others. A key debate to all interpretations of the series is to decide whether matter flows from thought or the opposite, offering an analysis of where reality stems from. The production staff carefully avoided the so-called God's Eye viewpoint to make clear the limited field of vision of the world of Lane. That is to say, it exists within the technological parameters set there within. An interesting aspect of Serial Experiments Lane is that characters' eyes are used as a visual shorthand for which characters are more connected with the wired than with reality. This is most noticeable with the show's characters who are more in touch with reality having larger pupils, while characters who are more in touch with the wired having smaller pupils. There are examples, for instance, Alice and Lane's father, who are both depicted as being more grounded in reality with larger pupils. Uh, Lane's do change based on whether or not she's interacting more with our base reality or with the wired. And finally, Masami Eri has pupils so small they come off as inhuman, representing his complete joining with the wired. Theology also plays its part in the development of the story. Lane has been viewed as a questioning of the possibility of an infinite spirit in a finite body. From self-realization as a goddess to deicide, religion is an inherent part of Lane's background. With these themes in mind, let's switch gears a bit to a conversation I had with Thomas about stand-up comedy, science fiction, Pokemon, and of course, Serial Experiments Lane. Here we go! It's something that could have been out since 1902, but it's new to you in 2022. Yeah. You know, even though it's 120 years old, which is fucking insane to think about. Yeah. Le Voyage dans la Lune, which is the brand name for Science Factual, that moon with, like, the rocket stuck in its eye. Uh-huh. That's the first, like, film science fiction piece. I think it's one of the first, like, the oldest films wow. ever. Holy shit. Just because of the way that it's, like, captured. Films that exist from back in the day, like Fritz Lang's Metropolis from 1927, mm -hmm. there are whole sections of the restored footage that have different aspect ratios and, and things like that because, like, 16-millimeter film survived here, but it was only two-thirds of it, and the other one that survived was, you know, in a different format, but the other two-thirds of it were destroyed in the fire. You know what I mean? So, like, you like, yeah. put these two things together as, like, a historian and restorationist, and it's like, all right, well, I guess I can 
either clip out large parts of the other frame in order to match the low, the smaller frame size, oh. or just add a black background, which is in the case that they did for a lot of the restorations of Metropolis. But like when you're trying to colorize something frame by frame by frame, like two frames in a row have overexposure issues, or a couple of frames in a row have you know like dust particles that you just can't remove or yeah. shouldn't introduce chemicals to try to remove because it'll then affect the structure of like the cell film yeah that's so crazy to me like I, I i can't even believe that it still exists in its format yeah damn it's pretty incredible i, w I would love to have the job of like a film restorationist or something like that but i'm too clumsy how <laughs> you think you'd fuck it up <laughs> like i finished it right. and then yeah, exactly yeah. like you were talking about like you know appropriate times to smoke weed like, yeah like you do it to disconnect yeah. like, I, I, I like just do it as maintenance so like yeah. I'm going to work like you know if it's something that either I'm interested in or is like super mundane like I'd like to you know like cheat for you know, a few riffs before going in yeah it would be bad news bears I'd probably spill chemicals all over shit or like start some sort of dark ring fire yeah stand-up comedy actually showed me that in weed that I needed to separate the two because mm -hmm. I would smoke and then try to go up on stage and it just wasn't working. Yeah. You know, I was like too in my head to really have a good set, you know, thinking about what you're going to say and the response that you're getting or like getting too nervous before you go up on stage to you like psych yourself out about it. Or you just want to forget. Yeah, that is my biggest fear in stand-up comedy that I'm going to forget the words to my jokes. Mm. Like since I started, that has always been like before any show I do, anybody who's been with me will notice that it's like I am completely like I get in my own bubble and I'm just going over like I keep full text of all my jokes in my phone at all times so that I'm able to like before a show like look at it and just be like okay this is how this one go like literally until oh, my written out word for word how you want to say it yeah okay yeah and like literally until the moment my name is called like as I'm walking up on stage that's when I'm like closing Mm -hmm. the document where i'm like even my opener which i've done over and over and over again for years now i'll be like okay fuck how, how does that go how does it you know it's sure. like well I, I mean dude i botched the landing on a joke that i have been using as my closer i was i'd say you yeah, know well, that's a masturbation joke folks i guess i'll get off on that mm -hmm. and that's a good segue to just you know bow off the stage or limp off the stage depending on how the set goes yeah. but uh but i said so i'm gonna go now and it was just like and that's a completely different statement like i pulled the punch well folks the voice other than my own this is thomas lundy hi thomas how you doing Reese? i'm good man i'm good i'm glad to be here hanging out with you we're we're going to be talking about serial experiments lane here in a minute but before we do that what's your instagram well, my instagram is at lundigras that's l-u-n-d-i-g-r-a-s my last name is lundy adam posse actually gave that to me it's a play on lundigras the holiday that precedes mardi gras oh it's yeah because like you know i first started yeah, me neither until he told me about it and I looked it up and it's like Shout out Posse. Yeah, shout out. Because like, you know, when I first started I was very much like a big party guy. Like mm. I wouldn't say life of the party, but definitely like love to party and shit. So he started calling me Lundigra and I was like, you know, when you're starting comedy and you're trying to find like, okay, what am I gonna brand my socials as? You know, sure. and I had no idea what to do and then he came up with that and I was like 
that's perfect. It is. It's, been, a, it's a great handle. Yeah, I've been running with it for years now. Well, so that brings me to my next question, which is how did you get your start in stand-up? Like how, like how long have you been doing it? I've been doing stand-up comedy for seven years now. Uh, I started in, let's see, well, we're coming into 2023. I started stand-up comedy on Valentine's Day, February 14th of 2016. I had just moved to Portland and had nothing going on on Valentine's Day, so I went to the open mic. I thought it was going to be a way darker origin story. No, it was like, I mean, I was just like lonely, you know? But I had always wanted to pursue stand-up. That's why I moved to Portland. Okay. I like to write. Like, that's my main, like, that is who I am. I consider myself, I'm a writer. And, you know, my mom's a poet. I've always, like, in college, I was doing a lot of short story writing, was submitting stuff to like the local college magazine and stuff like that. And I liked stand-up comedy, but my perception of stand-up was like, it's for the silly guy, like the mm. the big boisterous, like ha ha he he, you know, clownish thing. And I like, I was like, well, that's not me. So I don't think I'll ever be able to be a stand-up. But in college, I had this roommate, Garrett. And he was just a really funny guy. Like, he's an Irish guy. He was funny in that, like, sarcastic, almost kind of mean Irish way. Sure. Oh, yeah, I'm familiar with that uh, disposition. Yeah. We were roommates, and I came home one day, and he was watching uh, Bill Burr special. And he was like, dude, you got to watch this. This guy's hilarious. Bill Burr's a goat, man. One of the, my, my favorite of all time. And you, you listen to his Monday morning podcast? Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Yeah. So I watched that and I was like, wow, this guy is great. Like I can see myself being like, he embodied a new way to view stand-up and stand-up comedians to me. Cause where he, you know, he's funny. But he's funny in a different way from what I saw stand-up being. Mm. So I got really into it through him i started listening to his podcast you know which i still listen to to this day yeah. like yeah i've been listening to S- stream of consciousness bill burr is amazing yeah <laughs> it's and it's like one of those things to where like you've been listening to it for so long you've like followed his life and i feel like i mm. know him personally sure just from the years of listening to that so that's how i got my start in stand-up and then i after i graduated so i was in jacksonville florida that's where i went to school i'm sorry <laughs> yeah not a great place i haven't been back actually but yeah i was i don't recommend it <laughs> no and so i was like i gotta get out of florida i went back to philadelphia still knowing that like okay i want to pursue creativity and art in some form People are always like, why didn't you start stand-up in Philly? Because it's like a better place. But I wanted sure. to move. You know, I wanted to go to the West Coast. I wanted to get out. I wanted to do my Jack Kerouac thing, you know? Yeah. So I wanted to go to Oregon, and I joined a program called the AmeriCorps. And the AmeriCorps is like... No, I was going to say, why does that sound familiar? The Peace Corps. Right. Most people know the Peace Corps. Okay. The Peace Corps is where they send you to other countries to work with disadvantaged communities. Yeah. And Noah you know, Linsk from the book report was in the Peace Corps. Yeah, yeah. He went to Ghana, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. They sent me to good old Corvallis, Oregon. So it's like <laughs> the Peace Corps, but they keep you in America. Sure, okay. And I was like, okay, I love living in Corvallis, but like as soon as my time was up, I was like, I got to get to Portland. Knowing that I was going to do stand-up, uh, that was in January. And then February started, 
went to that first open mic at Kelly's. Yeah. That was my first one. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And just kept going. Yeah. Ever since. Yeah. That's awesome. I haven't been in it nearly as long, but it certainly shows with like your stage presence, your material, you know, like the way that you have fine tuned and I can, I can see how much you are of a writer. Like, yeah, I definitely see that background. That's one of the beautiful things to me about stand up is how like you can write something, you know, okay, it's funny. It's like kind of funny on paper, but then there's like the way you say it adds another layer to your material. Sure. Like you'll have, I have things, I have jokes of mine that even Kevin Nealon. myself, right? Like I've written it and I perform it a certain way. And then because of the way I deliver it, a part that I didn't even think was funny or the best part becomes the best part of the joke. Do you deliver material to yourself like alone? Like do, do you rehearse out loud or is it just mentally? It's, it's all mental. Yeah. And I'll kind of like, I do this thing where like certain jokes, a lot of people say like, oh, I don't like to watch a lot of stand up because I think it'll bleed into. Sure. Like when I write a joke, oftentimes I'm not picturing myself say it. I'm picturing someone funnier than me say it. And then I'm going out and trying to match that. It's a, I, I've found that it's become a really interesting part of my writing process that I really find enjoyable. I get so tired of my own perspective. Yeah. So, you know, trying to look at it through you know, different lenses. Yeah, I think that's definitely a valuable exercise. It keeps it fresh, you sure. know, because yeah. like oftentimes when I'm watching stand up, that's when I get the most inspired to write a new bit because I'm seeing someone else and I love what they do. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm almost like inspired to write a joke for them. But then it becomes my joke when I start telling it in my own way, you know, right. It's, it's like an admiration thing. It's like mm. this person is so fun, yeah, totally. you know, yeah. I'm like, oh, man, let me write something down that I think would come out like something that they would do. And then I do it my way. And I'm like, Oh, I like that, you know, but then you tweak it a little bit and it becomes its own thing. Like a lot of times I'll write something a certain way in my head and I don't even deliver it the way I envisioned it. I deliver it a different way just because it's my natural performance persona and it becomes a different thing. Like even last night I had a joke I've been working on for a long time and I haven't been able to get it to work and I rewrote it. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll do this and it'll be big and boisterous when I say this line. And then I went up there and I said the line, but I didn't do it the way I thought I was going to. I just did it my way. And it like, then it started to work. I was like, okay, there we go. Well, I do love talking about stand up, but we're here to talk sci-fi. Absolutely. So, so I want to ask, what, is, what was your first exposure to science fiction? My first, first exposure to science fiction, you know, it's probably video games okay i was a big video games kid growing up like i grew up in well i was born in west philadelphia i didn't move to florida until i was like 12 13 mm -hmm. but in west philadelphia you know it wasn't a very like good neighborhood so my parents wanted me to stay inside so like a lot of times people are like oh when i grew up my parents didn't want me watching tv and playing video games but my parents absolutely encouraged that because mm. they were like, great, you know, like, don't go out there. Don't start getting into trouble. So they really like my parents were always open to like, I could watch whatever I wanted on TV as long as it wasn't like, you know, extremely sexually graphic or like video games. They gave me carte blanche, you know, like, you know, play whatever you want. They were always buying me new video games and stuff. So. I would say uh, Japanese role-playing games were kind of like what really hooked me into like fiction slash fantasy slash sci-fi in general. 
Final Fantasy, I'm assuming. Final Fantasy was a big one. You know, I, Cloud Final Fantasy VII was so huge in my life. Like, I wanted to change my name to Cloud Strife when I was just <laughs> you know I mean? uh, So it's, yeah, I, I totally feel you on that. Because not that I grew up in a neighborhood where my parents wanted me to stay inside. In fact, it was the opposite. But when I would go outside, or at least they thought I was, I'd be going over to a friend's house. And yeah. we'd be playing video games. But, yeah. So, so what are some other early examples? Um, you know, the, the Pokemon games were huge for me that was like my first that was like the first game that i beat you know like completed yeah. start to finish yeah actually very funny so satisfying i still remember to this day like you know how i don't know if you played the original pokemon games red and blue i did yeah in fact i, I got one stolen from me oh. i was walking home from school i think it was fifth grade and i had completed Pokemon Blue version. Mm -hmm. I was the champion of the Indigo League. I had done it. I literally put my Game Boy in my hand and fist above my head in triumph as if I were like Ash winning a championship. <laughs> and a kid comes by on his bike and snatched it out of my hand. What? And fucking rode off with it. Are you serious? I, I you know, made Dude, chase, but I, that I, is... I couldn't catch him. That is like something out of a movie. Holy shit. In that moment, too? I was like, yes and like put my hand up and all this like as i'm putting my hand up the kid comes by and snatches it right out of my holy hand. shit yeah it, so, it was like such a split like all things had to be coming towards that unfortunate <laughs> childhood traumatic incident. holy shit yeah. so my story with that is um you know in those games i remember like the the npcs the characters you would talk to as you're approaching the mm -hmm. indigo league would always like stress to you like oh make sure you're ready to go challenge them because if you lose you have to start over right and in my childhood brain i thought that meant i would have to start the entire game Ooh. over again yeah Yikes. so <laughs> the first time Not i did the elite the first time i did the elite four you know mm -hmm. i was like i had like 99 potions i was ready i had all my revives and shit. i remember i didn't even have a starter because one of the older kids in my neighborhood, I say he tricked me, but like he, he was not traded away. I traded it away for a Doug trio that was 10 levels higher than me at the time, because I was like, cool, this is how I'm going to progress through the game much easier. Because I was like, I was a kid. I was like, this is level 35. I'm level 25. But that's a better Pokemon. Right. So my boss hog on my team was a Doug trio named Jake. <laughs> and I remember I was at the Elite Four. I had just beaten Lance. I thought it was over. And then lo and behold, motherfucking blue, Gary. You know how like yes. you beat the fourth one, then you go to the room and it's like, surprise, surprise, motherfucker. Here I am. He's got that Dragonite that is all sorts of trouble. All sorts of trouble. Finally beat his Dragonite. I thought I was done. My team was in shambles at this point, and they're like, now you got to fight your rival. I was about to lose. I was going somewhere with my mom. We were, like, running errands together. I was waiting in the car for her. She went into, like, Macy's or something to return something. Mm. I'm in the car fighting the rival. I'm about to lose. I'm crying. I'm literally, like, crying in the car because I was like, I'm going to have to start over. I'm going to have to say goodbye to all my Pokemon. Oh, man. And then I got a critical hit and won.
and just like tears of joy. Yeah. I was like, yeah. She wow. came back into the car. I was like, what happened? I was like, I'm the Pokemon master. I did it. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it was such a good feeling. Well, when were you born? I was born in 1991. Okay. I was born in 89, but like five days. So we're, we're about a year and change yeah. apart. Yeah, and I'm a January baby. So okay. 91, 90. Really. Gotcha. Uh, did you go and see the Pokemon movie? Yeah, I did. Theaters? Yeah. Did you get the Pokemon card pack that you got, like, yeah. for going? Yeah. That, that it came in the case. I think it was a golden one. Like, the gold one you got from Burger King. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Sadly, yeah. I have, like, an encyclopedic brain. Mm. Uh, I can't remember a lot of shit, but for some reason, stuff from video games, I am probably because it's so tied to my childhood. Oh, yeah. Formative, it's like. Yeah locked in there like you could give me a pokemon game today and i know so much about it like the next three starters cyndaquil totodile and chikorita that's for uh Uh, emerald and ruby and no that's for uh silver and gold yeah Yeah. man so so many great games for the handheld platforms yeah and i'm assuming you played stadium yeah this this is not turning into an episode about pokemon yeah Which is fine. I mean, uh, but we will have to have you on for uh, now loading that I'm doing with Matt Franco. It's oh, a okay. podcast that we're going to do about video games, and like we'll nice. play some of them. So we'll we can definitely do a Pokemon art. Yeah, uh, because there are a fuck ton of games. All right. Well, we are here to talk about Serial Experiments Lane. Absolutely. Which I thank you for bringing to my attention because I I mean there is a vast ocean of anime and manga and otherwise material that comes out of Japan. And you have to be a very specific spice of nerd. Absolutely, yeah. And, and heavy, the, heavy wasabi spice on yeah. knowing the whole anime lexicon. I mean, like, the colloquial term is weeaboo. And I am definitely a okay. weeaboo in hiding. I hide my power level, but like anyone who knows, like my tattoos are almost exclusively about anime. <laughs> okay yeah i i do not that's that is a nerd realm that i dip a toe into yeah i've got I, a I love serial... to do it but i'm not a uh weeaboo is that is that weeaboo, weeaboo? <laughs> yeah. okay i've got a serial experiments lane tattoo actually that's one of my favorite ones oh yeah yeah, yeah. she is right now wow. sure sure enough yeah very cool okay so why why serial experiments lane then uh, Serial Experiments Lane is such a gem of a show because A, I love an anime that is short, mm. 12 to 20 something episodes, you know, because that's like, to me, that says the creator had a vision for a story, they wanted to tell the story, they did it, and they were done. It's sure. not like a money grab, it's not like something with filler episodes. They're like, let's do it. Also, that was one of my first introductions to anime in the more um we'll say for the sake of conversation mature genre because right i had obviously as a kid i had seen like dragon ball z Mm -hmm. pokemon Mm -hmm. and stuff and digimon Mm -hmm. and i didn't really know that that was anime i just considered it like cartoons one of the writers was involved in a digimon yeah absolutely because it's it's very sci-fi heavy but Serial Experiments Lane, you know, I discovered it when I was a little kid, and I was just like, what is this? So you saw it when you were, like, like when it came out in syndication in, in 98? Uh, not in 98. I So I 
we kind of touched on it, but like I spent a lot of time alone as a kid. Mm -hmm. You know, my both my parents worked and stuff, and I was a night owl. I would stay up late. Okay. And I discovered Serial Experiments Lane. They used to show it late at night on Tech TV. Okay. And so I would watch a lot of Tech TV, and then at one o'clock. Tech TV. Hell yeah, old school. Yeah, very much so. And that was like an in between the channels channel for me. Yeah. <laughs> Not a lot of people watched it. It had TV shows about how to fix your computer. But Serial Experiments Lane, honestly, originally hooked me. I was a very lonely, melancholy kid, mm. and the intro theme just fucking hooked me. I remember being up late at night and came on, and like I recognized that it was a cartoon, a Japanese cartoon. Obviously, I was very familiar with the art style and stuff, and I knew I had liked it from playing JRPGs and stuff. And that came on, and I was like, oh shit, I am into this. And like I started watching it. Too young to even really know what was going on. A lot but... of deep-seated uh, yeah. issues being you know, explored throughout the series. Absolutely. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know that I, like, because it's what I'm a rewatcher. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely going to have to rewatch it in order to get all the nuances and, like, kind of, co like, social commentary that's being done. Dude, it's a rewatch series for yeah. sure. Because, and like, like so it's, it's quick to do. I mean, it's, I think it's 12, 13, 12, 13 episodes. Mm-hmm. You know, started watching it, and when I watched it as a kid, I didn't finish it because, like, obviously, something that's on cable TV at 1 a.m. as a like 11, 12 year old, you don't have the uh, scheduling autonomy to be like, well, it's 1 a.m., gonna go watch tech TV. You know, <laughs> like, I would catch it whenever I could. Sure. So, you know, you, you see bits and pieces of it, and I kind of forgot about it for many years. And then later in life, when I was much more into anime, something, I got reintroduced to it, just kind of like, you know, on the internet, somebody mentioned it, and I was like, oh, I remember that show. Yeah. Yeah. And then I went back and watched it, and once again, was blown away by it. And I was just like, it's so cool. The animation's fantastic. It reminds me of Akira. Mm -hmm. um, and, and also, like, this, we're going to get into it, but the scene with uh, Aerie... Or Deus, I guess we would be a. I mean, that right. is his digital self. But uh, when when he tries to reanimate, yeah, in the in the last episode, mm -hmm. it very much reminded me of like when Tetsuo right was yeah. transforming and like that kind of style of that, animation has always been so captivating to me. The mechanical horror, just like yeah, the, totally. uh, mm -hmm. amalgamation and blob of like wires and technology and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Aesthetically, I love the show so much because, like, the first time I watched it, really what just hooked me was the atmosphere and the style of the show. I love that, like, late 90s anime animation look where you could tell, like, a lot of it is hand-drawn. Mm. Obviously, they didn't have a very large budget for Serial Experiments Lane because you'll notice, like, a lot of the frames in it are stills like still drawings and then maybe one or two characters are actually moving right and stuff like that which i think has like a really beautiful watercolor aesthetic and serial experiments lane does this thing that i find so captivating where it's able to do a lot and create a lot of emotion and atmosphere with nothingness just like sound and atmosphere you know like so much of serial experiments lane especially in the first couple episodes is just 
Lane walking somewhere alone, like being by herself, you know, and like as a lonely little chubby nerd who also like, I love being alone. I find comfort in being alone. I thought that was so cool. I was like, oh, look at this show where there's like so much. It is meant to be creepy, but I found it comforting emptiness, you know? Yeah, well, the relatability of the nature of existence, you know, like mm -hmm. it, there is that some people try to avoid it. I, I think it speaks to, well, first off, it deals a lot with the human condition and, and yeah. the individual as part of the collective and what that means on so many different levels. Yeah, it really has, when I think of Serial Experiments Lane, it has these three main themes, that being sci-fi obviously with it's like it asks a lot of questions about the internet and what's also so amazing about this show is like you mentioned it was released in 1998 and at the time the internet as we know it wasn't really formulated it's like a very the, different place the world was a very different place the internet wasn't what we know it to be today al gore had just invented it so <laughs> yeah. it's like... but this show in a almost creepy way accurately predicts so much about what the internet is going to do to people and what our relationship is going to be like with it but then serial experiments lane also has a lot of themes and asks a lot of questions about philosophy and religion and so yeah. my my second or third viewing of it was in college and i was a philosophy major and that's where I fell in love with it again, because I was like, holy shit, this show is not only so predictive of what our relationship to technology and has that sci-fi element, but it has this very deep philosophical element where it's asking all these, like, it's pondering all these, like, very complex philosophical questions, like asking about you know, things in relation to idealism and what does it mean to exist and be a person? It, it, it touches a lot on like Taoism and your relationship to the universe and the interconnectivity of everyone. And it asks a lot about like existentialism. What does it mean to exist? You know, like Lane, one of the main points of the show is you have the Lane, the little girl, and then Lane, the being you know, like what she actually is, uh, the, the God of the wired mm -hmm. and who is real, you know, is, does Lane exist? Is Lane real? And so when I started to watch it through that lens, it became an even better show to me. I was like, it's an important lens to, I think it is the lens to, to watch it through because it really does discuss and all the different iterations of Lane, mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, the, there have been comparisons made to, you know, the id, ego, and super ego mm -hmm. uh, of, of those being the three main representations of Lane's personalities, uh, yeah. because she does exist in our collective plane of existence of what we call our reality. She exists within the wired, but that's because of the culmination of Protocol 7. Yeah. And did she pre-exist? the wired as the planetary consciousness that we are now tapping into because we were able to develop the wired, the wired and right. subsequently protocol seven, which 
allowed the first human to basically transcend because there's a transhumanism element to this as well yeah that's 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 the heaviest sci-fi influence in my mind other than the internet or interconnectivity right right because we are coming towards this singularity at some point like we are driving toward it yeah of being combined with a machine mind and or a collective internet-based mind because this predates the matrix right like, yeah Although I can see, like, William Gibson's Neuromancer heavily influencing this, like, Johnny Mnemonic, like, these kind of concepts of, like, what does it mean to be interconnected in a different way or different realm, and also coexist. See, like, that's the whole reason for Lane's physical manifestation, is to be the bridge between our physical reality and the wired reality Ooh. that is tapping into the, uh, the planetary consciousness, the pre-existing one, like, that's what the kids' system was trying to do, and then they had that catastrophe yeah. or whatever. But like, should we do a synopsis of it? I think we should. Yeah, yeah. I think that we're I, I, we're definitely jumping the gun because <laughs> there's so much to talk about. So, excellent point. Um, Serial Experiments Lane. Uh, it follows Lane Iwakura is a junior high school girl who lives in suburban Japan uh, with her middle class family, consisting of her inexpressive older sister Mika who has an interesting story arc in conjunction with that interactivity of the wired, like as a, well, I keep doing this because it's, it, <laughs> it, there's it, so it's, many things that so jump out. Like, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. So there's Mika, her sister, her emotionally distant mother and her computer obsessed father. Lane herself is somewhat awkward, introverted and socially isolated from most of her school peers. The status quo of her life becomes upturned by a series of bizarre events that start to take place after she learns that girls from her school have received an email from a dead student, Chisa Yamoda, and she pulls out her old computer in order to check for that very same message, which I feel like they did a, there was a, you see that movie? Oh man. It was about like when you get a text message and you, it, it was like the, it's like this premise meets the ring. Oh, I do remember that movie. I don't, I don't think I ever saw it. It's not See, up to speed on how it plays out. Like ghost communication through through devices yeah. can be done really well in this instance. Yeah. Or it can be done really shittily, like that movie that thankfully I forget the title of. So <laughs> do not even don't don't even waste your time looking it up. It's like not worth it. Alright. Lane finds Chisa telling her via email that she's not dead, but has merely, quote, abandoned her physical self, which sounds super cultish. Yeah. Like, it sounds yeah. like she was part of like Heaven's Gate. Uh, and is alive deep within the virtual realm of the Wired itself, where she claims to have found a god there, which we find yeah. out is, or, or a.k.a. Deus. From this point, Lane is caught up in a series of cryptic and surreal events that sees her delving deeper into the mystery of the network in a narrative that explores themes of consciousness, perception, and the nature of reality. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, it makes a premise like Inception look childish i was about to say childish it makes inception seem pretty childish right. with like just how we should you know we should do like another layer yeah. right and then what if there was like another layer but when you go to that one it's like super hard to get out of but they still do it <laughs> mm -hmm. but the thing with like serial experiments lane it like it starts to introduce you to the concept of another la of another layer but then later down the line start to break down what you understood as another layer and present to you that maybe this other layer and what we understand as our layer are one in the same. And how does that relate to this thing we're creating called the wired or AKA the internet 
And I really think that, you know, the writer of this, for how brilliantly he predicted the internet, seemed to be very afraid of what it was going to do to humanity. I would say rightfully so. Yeah. It's, it's not been working out so great exactly. you know, moving forward uh from 1998 to now i mean we're we're looking at uh 24 years roughly 25 years from when the story was being written and developed right yeah. into a series but like uh, you know it, it is a very poignant story because and, and i think that a lot like what is the internet going to do to us is a common motif you see it in a couple of episodes of black mirror and mm -hmm. uh twilight like the new twilight zone and just like what does all this interconnectivity mean? Because our brains were not designed for this. Right. We're still the same mindset of the people that went through the fucking plague. Yeah. You know, like, we're, there's been no major development in our brain structure mm -hmm. over the last couple hundred, you know, to even a thousand, many thousands of years, if you're looking at an evolutionary time frame, right? So, right. like, this is something that is so big. And it talks about individuality and humanity mm -hmm. in so many different ways. And like, how do you lose your humanity? Like, that's something that Lane is trying to hold on to desperately is yeah. the, her perception of her humanity instead of completely giving over in a non-corporeal way to being, you know, existing within the wider. Mm -hmm. Which, what that would do, who knows if Protocol 7 would even work mm -hmm. when, when it happens, you know what I mean? Right. Like, we're just like presuming that Airy, you know, like... He didn't put a random period somewhere when he wrote the initial code. And right. Like, We're just trusting this dude. Yeah. <laughs> so Ari, this like, uh, quote unquote, God figure yeah. in the show, you later come to find out that he actually is not God. Mm -hmm. He is an imposter. He's someone who simply saw the potential there and wanted to inject himself into the wired as a god figure and he has all these followers who did their best to kind of like suppress lane who we come to find out is the actual god of the wired yeah. and i think one of the beautiful parts of this show is it brings up the idea of god and you don't get an answer for this in the show but like did lane as like not the child lane but lane of the wired did she always exist you know is she a metaphor for you know ultimate consciousness you know supreme consciousness and how it tries to take place in what we know as the real world and, you know, a lot of people have different theories about this. And I choose to believe that, like, Lane created the little girl Lane to be here with us. You know, and it's very much like that's, there's some Taoism there. There's some Christianity in there where you think of, like, the Jesus story, like God creating a son to go and be with everyone and you know, I'm going to jump ahead here, but you know, major spoilers at the end, Lane decides to sacrifice herself for our sake. Like she deletes the memory of little girl Lane from the entirety of humanity's you know, memory. Like she no longer is there because she sees that what she's like, her presence here is actually harming us. So there's that like, very Christian idea of 
Jesus sacrifice for our sins. Yeah, martyrdom and yeah, yeah absolutely. I, there was a lot of religious imagery in that. Also, uh, seeing laying in the sky, right? Uh, like you know, that kind of imagery. When, when you look at Rushkov, mm -hmm. the where he's like, there's this planetary frequency, and that's part of like the scientific trifecta of information that Airy uses to, right. you know, kind of create protocol seven mm -hmm. and to be able to manifest the wired in the real world and delete right. the layer between the two right and now I, I find that very interesting because that is that transhumanism thing mm -hmm. coming forward again and he does successfully like upload his brain as does uh um uh, the the friend from earlier chisa chisa thank yeah. you i think that lane is that planetary frequency right and what happens to Ari is indicative of how people try to use technology to become more than we are and the, the right. potential pitfalls there that lie within because like he thought that he was doing the right thing by becoming non-corporeal yeah but with with ulterior motives and and ignorance lie the potential for disaster right it touches on man's search for immortality and oneness with god and you mentioned lane being that uh, electromagnetic frequency that they talk about existing throughout all of earth that is what the wired uses and mm. essentially that touches on taoism because it's like okay taoism says that everything is connected and that connectivity between everything in the universe is god like god is the universe but we also are god because we are all connected we're all one and it's like the force yeah I mean, it's a, it, that is ostensibly what's going on there is yeah. this, like, yeah, this universal interconnectivity. Leave it to a nerd to find it back to Star Wars. Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so we've been talking about the Wired a lot, which is a virtual realm that contains and supports the very sum of all human communication and networks created with the telegraph, televisions, and telephone services and expanded with the internet, cyberspace, and subsequent networks. Uh, the series assumes that the Wired could be linked to a system that enables unconscious communication between people and machines without physical interface so like that it, it is a little bit more than like it, it is kind of what we're heading toward like think about right. things like Neuralink. yeah you know like even though that is technically still hardware like mm -hmm. it is a step in that direction absolutely even Singularity. the hardware will be intrinsic to our biology mm -hmm. i don't know if it'll be like the borg from star trek Right. You know, like, I, I don't know, but it, it just seems like we're heading in this kind of direction. Um, but Blurring the lines between what is real and what is not. And then, then that's exactly where the philosophical connection into idealism comes into play. So it's like, if we create this singular existence that is uh, connected in one with technology, what does it mean to exist? Is your physical self you? You know, and that's those are the questions that Lane begins to ponder as she realizes that she is not just herself. She is also this being that exists and permeates all of the wired. Yeah. And, you know, as the story progresses, you start to see because she's fighting two different things. One is that that realization of like, what is her actual source of existence, existence yeah. reality, perception? I mean we could say the same things about ourselves, like right. the, the, the thing that resides in our head mm -hmm. that never sees the light of day, perceives it through sensory or, you know, like the, mm -hmm. 
that's a whole rabbit hole. But then it, you know, it, it also, it touches on like double existence where like, okay, a lot of people have another personality on the internet, you know? Oh, so that is for sure. So <laughs> what does that mean? Like, which one is the real you? You start mm. to have the same ponderings that Lane does. Like, am I me or am I the self that I become when I'm connected. I think that if you're like most people are able to compartmentalize, you are both and, yeah. and neither, or at the same time, you know, each of them, it's, it's kind of like a Schrodinger's personality right. type situation, you right? Know? Whichever one you're focusing on happens to be the one that you're inhabiting. Or then you can bring it back to Eastern philosophy in that they're all the same. Not only are they all the same, it's all the same, like the colloquial it, you know, like it's all connected. The capital it's, I, it. the capital I, it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are definitely a lot of interesting philosophical questions that are being raised throughout the series, like at different points, but just its overarching theme of what is reality? Because mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, we don't have something like the wired. I just use LSD to try to <laughs> right. like, uh, find unreality, but. I, I wish there were more of it, but like you were saying earlier, it is such a succinct story mm -hmm. and you could watch it multiple times through different parts in your life as you have and glean different things from it. And I think that speaks to good writing. I think that speaks to your sensibilities as a writer, which definitely makes sense why you chose this piece. So, yeah. You know, and I, like any great philosophical piece, you know, <laughs> there is no answer. Well, the answer is what you take away from it you know like i it, fucking hate philosophy it presents all of these things <laughs> and then it says no you figure it out for yourself i actually yeah. i always hear asshole at the end of that yeah, you figure you're it out for asshole <laughs> yeah my my final paper uh thesis in philosophy was about how that is the ultimate point in philosophy and that you know mm. I titled it philosophy is a waste of time mm -hmm. because most people find it to be such a huge waste that you don't get the answers, but that is the beauty in it, that it presents you with all of the tools to expand your perception of reality. That's true. Uh, but I will also say a little LSD now and again doesn't hurt either. Yeah. So Thomas, answer me this. What's coming up in your comedy schedule? You know, I actually, I just did this week. I did faded, which is a, great show that originally started in Los Angeles and is now branched out into different cities across the United States. We have one here in Portland. I did that on Thursday. Coming up, I mean, every week on Wednesdays, I do dough yep. at yep. Mississippi Pizza. Fantastic show. You should come check it out if you get a chance. 830s. We always have a great lineup. We just had Ian Carmel. Uh, Portland's nice. prodigal son yes. on the show. Returns. Yeah. Um, and it's great pizza. Fantastic pizza. Yes. Like, I've had it so much. And we doing... your taxidermy needs on Mississippi Avenue as well while you're out there. Yeah. I have butter comedy on Friday. Oh, yeah. It's a great show. January 13th. Shout out Camp Strong and Funhouse Lounge. Yep. Um, sad that there wasn't a last midnight mic of the year, but definitely go and check out all the shows. The USS Improvise is coming out. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, it was the Star Trek parody. Um, but yeah, so doing butter, doing dough, any, any other food-based things <laughs> that we should know about coming Allegedly, uh, this happens all the time. You, like, say yes to something as a mm -hmm. comedian, 
months in advance and then you have it on your calendar and you're like is that happening is that a real thing so i think i'm <laughs> opening for gabriel lutridge on wednesday the 18th oh cool details to follow i'm sure i'll be posting it on my instagram follow me on socials i'm also on twitter and i guess i'm still on facebook i don't ever yeah. use well, it no facebook, facebook has just become facebook messenger that's no, all that's true that's true yeah that's that's what we use it for yeah <laughs> that is how we communicate for now i mean you know eventually until okay, the wire takes the wire takes over yeah i hope it's not like a skynet type situation <laughs> but well, knowing, lane, knowing us as humans i think it might be lane is very benevolent she oh. loves us yes. and she sacrificed herself for us all, all hail lane yeah, love lane as they would say <laughs> well thanks thomas i appreciate it and uh, happy new year to you man happy new year cool Oh man, thank you again, Thomas, for bringing this series to the show. It was a great watch, and I already have it in line for a rewatch with supporting YouTube videos bookmarked and ready to go. Thanks, Satan, for other nerds putting together research and analysis of basically anything. Speaking of which, I'd like to thank my sources for today's episode, which include Funimation.com, CBR.com, FandomWiki, the YouTubes, and of course wikipedia.com, because if it's on Wikipedia, it was probably submitted as part of a vast conspiracy to get you to shed your mortal coil in favor of joining the collective digital consciousness. Now, normally it's around this time that I'd be passing out the cups for a weekly dose of your water cooler facts, but Serial Experiments Lane just deals with far too many themes and technologies to focus on any one component without diving into the others and how they're all interconnected. And believe it or not, but I do have a life to live. Just ask my cats. Mmm, <coughs> but before that sweet, sweet comedy release gets pulsing through ya, make sure to stop back in next week for an official part two of the Alien franchise, picking way back up from episode seven with return guest and Shady Pines Radio DJ Tyus McCowan, host of Euphonia, which airs Fridays at five definitely check out his show. He plays some rad tunes and has expanded my music library significantly. At any rate, that episode with him on the rest of the Alien franchise airs Tuesday, January 10th from 8 to 9 a.m. only on Shady Pines Radio. Help keep Shady Pines Radio rad in 2023 with a visit to their Patreon page and a donation. You get access to even more rad content besides what you'd normally tune into 24 hours a day, 369 days a year at either ShadyPinesRadio.com or by downloading the free Shady Pines Radio app for Android or iOS. Alright, you sat through the plugs, now here's Thomas. Enjoy! Oh man, all right, let's get right into it. First thing you gotta know about me is I'm what you would call a hating ass motherfucker. <laughs> a successful man, one of my least favorite things to see. Knock it off, right? <laughs> I was at an open mic recently and I saw this guy go up and he did his very first set ever and he killed it, which is normally great. Like we love to see that in stand-up comedy. Except this dude was a hot doctor. <laughs> So fuck him, all right? That's too much ambition, dog. Reel it in. 
right? I'm trying to get healthcare one day. You literally are healthcare. Relax. <laughs> Don't take this from me, my sad escape from my regularly scheduled sadness. I'm just saying, I have to listen to motivational podcasts to get to work every day, and I work from home. So like, I'm not saying doctors can't have hobbies. Of course not. It's insane. I'm saying they can't be good at them, right? If you know a doctor who plays piano, he better fucking suck at it. The universe needs balance. That's why all male porn stars can't read. It's true, that's very true. You can go home and look that up. I would not lie to you. That's what I'm here for, right? This is such thing as too much winning. Have you ever met somebody and they're just like, they got too much going for them, you see them? They're like tall, beautiful. Everybody loves them. Start looking at them sideways. You're like, all right, motherfucker. You better be racist, all right? Knock it down a peg. Just a little bit. Okay. And y'all like to drink with your families, right? Get drunk with your parents. Yeah? Sickos. Okay. Dude, I don't know how you do it. I got drunk with my mom once. We're not big drinkers in my family. So me and her split an IPA. She heard about them on TV. Immediately started telling me about shit I did not want to hear. Like about dudes she used to fuck. On one hand, gross. On the other hand, some pretty cool dudes, right? Yo, I found out before she met my dad, my mom used to date a tall, beautiful, handsome, Australian millionaire with a yacht. Excuse my language, but bitch, what the fuck? Dude, how do you fuck that up? Dog, if you look up fumbling the bag in the dictionary, it's just a picture of my mom being thrown overboard. You ever get jealous thinking about your almost dads? I have. It's my life. Come to find out I'm one recalled condom away from being like a cool black dude with an accent and speedboat access. Basically a Disney Channel movie villain. That could have been me. So like, how do you end up with my dad, the mailman? Like, don't get me wrong, he's cool, I love him, but he's landlocked, right? It does make you kind of respect him a little bit more, though, because, like, you pulling chicks off a yacht in the UPS truck? Dog. He's the fucking man, okay? That's game. What dock is he pulling up to, like, hey, baby, heard you like vehicles with no doors. If you hop in the mail truck, feel the wind in your hair real quick. <laughs> man. Look, can we have a little bit of honest dialogue about Portland, Oregon, your beautiful town? It fucking sucks, dog. <laughs> what happened? Right? Look, dude, you know what I'm talking about if you've been downtown. Looks like a bus station puked on a construction site. <laughs> dog, it's all right. You know what I'm talking about. You get mugged by a gust of wind down there. Downtown Portland is proof that Sometimes you kind of need Republicans, right? <laughs> look, look, dude, all I'm saying is every party needs somebody to kick everybody the fuck out, all right? We're one cool mayor away from living in the city from Blade Runner. That's it. <laughs> look, dude. <laughs> 
I get out of here on this. You guys are great. Uh, I don't hate white people. But I do hate what you've done to grocery shopping. You motherfuckers created this thing called Whole Foods and then sprinkled it throughout my neighborhood like some kind of racist tooth fairy. At least when you did it with crack cocaine, it was at prices we could afford. Dog, it's a cultural disconnect. Same way some of y'all don't understand drill music, I don't understand charcuterie. <laughs> what is a Brazil nut? Sir, what is it, right? I don't know. You should have just left it in Brazil. Motherfuckers are always doing that. Dude, then you get into the store, there's too much shit in them. You guys got like 60 different kinds of chocolate chip cookies. You motherfuckers made cookies vegan, not even know cookies was an animal. <laughs> Kombucha has its own aisle, dog. A product you can get by buying iced tea and waiting. <laughs> Look, dog, I'm not saying I'm better than you. Of course not. Love a good oat milk latte. Hey, buy mushroom supplements. You think I know what they do? Fuck no. But the cashier, she's cute. She sees me buying them. She respects me now. That's it. What I'm saying is... When the revolution comes, it will not be gluten-free. All right, thank you, guys. Also, I had to include this outro music from the anime series. It's called Toi Sakebi, I believe, or Cry in the Distance by Japanese artist Reichi Nakaido. It's awesome, and the lyrics are super haunting. Although this version is in Japanese, you'd have to look up the English translation yourself. But in the meantime, check it out. Oh, 
Listening to ShadyPinesRadio.com. Here's the lineup for Tuesday. Starting at 8 a.m., Science Factual with Reese Hendrick. At 9 a.m., Emotional Weather Report with Jamie Stewart. Beat Salad with Mason O'Brien at 11 a.m. At noon, The Blue Hour with Blue Corbidae. Northwest Comedy Hour with Emily June at 1 p.m. At 2 p.m., The Prague Hour with Reagan Lindy. Your own private PDX with DJ Squiffy at 3 p.m. At 4 p.m., Cosmic Taco Beach Shack with Big Papa Warrior. No Dancing Please with L. Ron Hubbard at 5 p.m. At 6 p.m., Anything New with Shorty L. Toasty Tunes with Alex Toast at 7 p.m. At 8 p.m., Radio Seance with Your Psychic Friends. At 9 p.m., Fresh Unoriginal with DJ Wineglass. Turntable Talk with Chili and Bass at 10 p.m. And at 11 p.m., Taking Drugs to Play Music to Take Drugs to with Shampoo Douglas. No matter the day or time, you've picked the right time to listen in. Thanks for listening, and tell others. Shady Pines Radio.